Hi, folks. This is Abel James, and thanks so much for listening to Fat Burning Man, the show with a silly title where we talk about cool health and lifestyle hacks that can get you real results. I'm very happy to say that this week we have back on the show one of the fan favorites, uh, a past guest, Mr. Mark Devine, and he's the creator of Seal Fit and is capable of almost superhuman feats and teaches other people to achieve more than they ever thought possible. So uh, we'll talk about that more in a second. Before we do, here's the review of the week. Rare and helpful. Abel is one of the few paleo life hacker types who doesn't come across as a smarmy, overgrown frat boy. I was a frat boy, actually, but I appreciate that. I try not to act like one anymore, at least most of the time. He seems like a decent guy and has a refreshing natural charisma. He gets great guests and pulls out useful information. One of my favorite podcasts and one I always enjoy seeing pop up with new episodes. Uh, thank you so much for that. I, I read all of these reviews. So wherever you are listening to or watching this, the iTunes store, Stitcher, YouTube, or fatburningman.com, my own blog and website, please take the time to leave some feedback. I really appreciate hearing from you guys, and I take it all to heart. So try not to be too hard on me, but I use it to inform the questions that I ask on upcoming shows, who I have on, and much more. So thank you for taking the time to review the show. Really appreciate it. Another way you can support this show is by checking out my book. It's called The Wild Diet, and uh, you can go to wilddietbook.com to grab it. It's basically a cookbook of our favorite recipes. We're giving away a bunch of cool stuff because it's just coming out right now, uh, including a drone that you can use to film outdoor adventures. We're giving away a GoPro, my favorite skillet, a Fitbit watch, and tons more cool stuff. So make sure you join in all the fun at wilddietbook.com. You can also go to fatburningman.com. I get a lot of feedback from you guys asking for people to have on the show like Tim Ferriss, Gary Taubes, uh, a lot of celebrities in, in kind of like the health world and uh, Dr. William Davis, Pearl Mutter, the author of Grain Brain. I've actually already had a lot of these people on this show. I have almost 150 at this point. So the best way to find all of these interviews, I want to make sure that you're, I, I will have a lot of these people back on the show, but I want to make sure you don't miss out. So go to fatburningman.com and just Google who, or not Google, but search for whoever you might want to listen to. There's a good chance that I've already interviewed them, uh, but it doesn't always show up in the iTunes feed. There's like a limited number that you can show there. So make sure you go to fatburningman.com. Easiest way to get all of this cool stuff is to sign up for the email list. Uh, so just go to fatburningman.com, put in your best email, and we'll fix you right up. All right, so onto the show with Mark Devine. So Mark is a New York Times bestselling author, for his books that take deep training and expertise as a Navy SEAL and apply it to business, mental toughness, and living a better life. Mark served nine years on active duty in the Navy SEALs and 11 years as a reserve SEAL, and he now runs SEAL Fit, an incredible program that pumps out superhumans like nobody's business. In this show, we talk about the one critical difference between a master and a thug, how to do yoga if you're a guy, and it actually is pretty cool, especially the way that Mark does it, where a millionaire Navy SEAL gets his knowledge and information, and what Star Trek The Next Generation has to do with Navy SEALs. All right, let's go hang out with Mark. All right, folks, I'm very happy to be here with a good friend and uh, the man behind SEAL Fit, one of the things that makes you into a total beast for the rest of your life. Mr. Mark Devine. How's it going, Mark? 
Yeah, yeah, it was great to see you. Thanks. So I was telling you before the call, but um, you are always, when you come on the show, a fan favorite. People just rave about what you do. And I think that's uh, for very good reason, because you're capable of almost superhuman feats. Can you, <laughs> can you tell people, if, if they don't know who you are, can you tell people a little bit about Seal Fit and the other things you do? That's pretty humbling. No, I'm uh, superhuman feast. Just don't ask me to perform any, please, right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I'm still on my first cup of coffee. <laughs> Skype wouldn't capture it anyway. Skype would not capture it. No. <laughs> yeah, so um, uh, I guess um, without going into a whole lot of gory detail, I'm a former uh, Navy SEAL commander, or actually retired commander. Spent 20 years in the SEAL teams, 25-year practitioner of the martial arts, and 15-year practitioner and teacher of uh, yoga. And also a business entrepreneur and owner. I've started about six different businesses, the varying degrees of success. You know, some major creators in the ground, which I'm sure, sure you have a few of those black, <laughs> black holes those still too. simmering a little bit, you know. <laughs> Festering. And, and then some really good, neat successes. So I'm currently working on um, uh, about eight years into an unbelievably cool experience and journey with a program called SealFit. Mm -hmm. SealFit has a worldwide reputation now for developing mental toughness, emotional resiliency, warrior spirit. And our training program is wickedly cool. I mean, I was just telling you before we started that I, I did an executive academy this weekend with three, um, I'm sorry, not three, but 21 executives, all high-end, you know, consultants and real estate professionals and mm -hmm. business owners. And we just um, kicked the crap out of them. We, yeah, we did <laughs> kick the crap out of them, but they, they did it, right? Yeah. Everyone did it. Everyone loved it. We met everyone where they're at. It's not like, you know, we're I mean, we're using the same methods that I use to teach the SEALs and the mm -hmm. Spec Ops candidates, but obviously radically scaled and, and adapted and, and, you know, appropriate for the age. And we had a 69-year-old guy and, you know, this the 59-year-old lady came up to me afterwards and said, um, you know, Mark, beyond my wedding weekend, this is the most profound training of my life or profound that's, weekend of my life. That's amazing. How cool is that? Yeah, it's so and, cool. <laughs> and again, I think people have just gotten away from taking, you know, taking themselves out of their comfort zone mm -hmm. to the point that they don't even know what their comfort zone is anymore. Right. And we get people uncomfortable with discomfort again and they realize, wow, this really feels good. We're playing again. I had uh, another woman who runs a big uh, consultancy out of Denver named Kel Kelly Coleman. And, uh, she said, you know, she'd always been an athlete. And then, you know, as her business took over, family took over, you know, she just assumed that being an athlete wasn't part of her life anymore. Mm -hmm. And now we've got her doing, you know, rope climbing and tire flips and cool. burpees and, and playing and, you know, teaching her that um, fitness doesn't have to be boring going and standing on a treadmill and, mm -hmm. you know, blah, 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 reading O magazine. It can be fun. You know what I mean? It's yeah. meant to be fun. You're meant to play. And, a challenge. Yeah. And, and challenge yourself. And, and guess what? When you do that and when you add mental challenges and you add um, emotional challenges and you train with a team of, of like-minded individuals and then you learn some of the um, skills of, of doing this together, all of a sudden all this translates back to being a better teammate, being a better, mm -hmm. um, better person. It develops character ultimately. And so- yeah. That's what I'm doing with SealFit, and I, I'm absolutely having a ball, you know, um, doing that. So that's kind of what I'm doing. I live in Encinitas, California, sunny, warm. Skipped the beautiful. whole winter. <laughs> yeah, no, no winter. Yeah. I just went back east to give a couple speeches last week, and I was, you know, yuck. I mean, God bless you <laughs> if you live back east. I used to, I grew up back east in upstate New York. Where'd you grow up? Outside of Utica, kind of. Okay. We call it Central Leather Stocking Region in in New York. It's like dairy country, but also 
They used to make leather there, I guess. Huh. I oh, don't know. Cool. Yeah, my brother's actually up there. He uh, oh yeah does organic farming. It's Always. Area. Oh, it's beautiful. I love yeah. upstate New York, but I the winters are long and, and nasty. And they sure are. I don't miss yeah. that part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in New Hampshire, so. Uh, Man, oh yeah, same same. Yeah, same same. But anyway, so en- enough about the weather. <laughs> Let's talk about um, one of the things that's that's so cool about you, Mark, uh, is that a lot of people kind of cave because they're stressed, they're overburdened by whatever the world is throwing at them or what they're throwing at themselves. The, one of the biggest causes of losing your health is that. But sure. y- you seem to become only more resilient by uh, h- how old are you now? I'm 51. And you still train with like the young bucks, right? When you're, yeah, when you're abusing it. them in your program, you're right there with them. How are you able to, to withstand uh, so much challenge and abuse and everything in between um, and still maintain your health and your sanity? Oh, my God. You know what? Jeez, I could write a book about that. You should. Um, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. Holy cow. No, it, that one is a great book, but I would, I would read another 800-page text on that because I think I haven't seen many people pull it off, certainly not for the extent of a time or a career like you have. What do you do? What's, what's the day-to-day? Well, what would you ta- say you, to people I'll who are you. overburdened? <laughs> okay, so let's just start off with this notion that if you're feeling a lot of stress, that's because you're choosing to accept that stress. You're choosing to, to live this life that feels uh, fast, overburdened, you know, rushing from here to there, overcommitted. And mm-hmm. that's all. It's all a choice. Now, it may feel like it's not a choice, but ultimately everything in life is a choice, mm-hmm. right? So your health is a choice. You know, what commitments you take on is a choice. You know, what level of stress you allow into your life is a choice. So let's just start there. Now, the question is, can we control ourselves to the level where we allow ourselves to be able to, you know, we have the capacity to turn it into a choice Mm -hmm. instead of just being, you know, kind of um, driven by other people's values or society's values or just being kind of rolled over like a steamroller from what's, what's happening in your life. Yeah. And so that's kind of like the first premise. Now, I was very fortunate enough to, to learn early in my life, in my early 20s, how to take control, how to take control of my mind, how to take control of my emotions so that I could write the script, you know, from here on out. Mm -hmm. And what was cool about this is I I learned this um, through a martial arts grandmaster in, uh, for four years while I was in the business world Mm -hmm. before I became a SEAL. So I was actually a CPA, went to NYU, got my MBA and I was kind of charging along that path and I was out of control. I was living someone else's life. It wasn't my life. I was there too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, consulting and, and a, lot in of, DC. a lot of people are, right? A <laughs> yeah. lot of people are. And, they're, and they're, you know, 30 years later, they wonder how the hell they got there. I yeah. mean, they have some material success and probably not as much as they'd like, and they don't feel secure. But more than that, they just feel like, ugh, you know, like right. what's wrong with my life? They don't understand how they missed the boat. It's because they didn't take the time to get back in control and then to figure out what boat they were supposed to be on and then mm-hmm. set, it, you know, set it off in the right direction. And I, I just feel incredibly grateful that I, I had that you know, the fortune to learn the beginnings of this process to, to regain total control and then to develop that control. Now, when I went into SEAL training at 25, I turned 26 in BUDS, you know, I had learned enough from the Grandmaster Nakamura that, I, I mean, I literally sailed through SEAL training. I had mm-hmm. a, a blast. I mean, you're not going to find too many SEALs say they had a blast <laughs> right. in training. 
We had 180 people start training. We had 19 guys graduate and only, yeah. and one of us was the honor man. That was me because wow. I showed up with a smile on my face every yeah. single day. That's cool. And I just attacked it with my hair on fire and, and was, um, tried to be a good teammate and, and, and stayed in control, you know, no matter what they threw at me. What school yeah, of martial arts was it? Well, it was called Sado. Okay. And, uh, you know, just like, well, just like special ops, there's no, there's no one best martial right. art. There, and there's no one best special ops force, you know, the SEALs are great at direct action and the Green Braves are great at, you know, uh, guerrilla warfare and counterinsurgency and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. But um, there are better special operators, right? Yeah. And there are masters and then there are thugs, you know, they, they all <laughs> exist, that spectrum, right? Even yeah. in the SEAL teams. But what's so, the difference between the two of them? And, and maybe this is just going on track with the same answer that you're going. Thug, yeah, right? yeah the, the master and the thug. That's such a great question. Well, the, on the outside, to the untrained eye, they might look the same, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say I got uh, Seal A, who's a thug, and Seal B, who's a master. Um, they both are going to look tough. They're both going to have exceptional tactical skills, right? They're able to run long and swim hard and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Uh, the difference is that the thug is not trying to develop themselves. They're not interested nor caring or aware to be able to develop themselves to the highest levels of consciousness and awareness. Hmm. Whereas the master uh, makes it a, um, a first premise of theirs that every day they wake up and they are not just doing their job, but they're seeking through every single experience, every interaction, every moment to master themselves, to make themselves mm -hmm. better, to, to become better people, to be more complete as human beings. And that leads them up the trajectory of consciousness development to where they're operating at the highest stages. And you might, from a spiritual tradition, call that enlightenment. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the, the Zen uh, tradition, which was completely aligned with, or, or like, uh, uh, I wouldn't say completely, but quite a bit aligned with the Eastern martial arts, you know, would, would talk about um, like Satori or, you know, a beginner's mind, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of sword fighting, like, like Miyamashi and the samurai, you know, incorporated Zen training into their training. And so these are, these are uh, uh, examples of masters or individuals who chose this path, the warrior's path, and they were duty bound to perform a particular job in the world. They were, at, they're, at, they're oriented toward action, right? Um, and they're duty bound. So they, typically are drawn to a career in the armed services or something like that, but, then, but not necessarily. I mean, it could be in a Peace Corps, it could be, you know, serving the environment as environmentalists. Mm -hmm. You're just drawn toward action. You're, you're serving something greater than yourself. And it might be even in the spiritual sense, serving in that guy, yeah. you know, serving God. But, but part of that is you, you don't just um, expect that you know it all, you know, mm -hmm. or that you're capable. And so you are always striving to grow. And, and as you grow, you realize how little you actually know. Whereas... Yeah. The other side of the coin is the thug pretty much assumes they know it all. They've got it covered. Uh, they're good. And mm -hmm. so they're, they're, instead of stoking their humility along this path, instead of constantly refining their character, uh, like iron sharpens iron, you know, mm -hmm. and choosing, you know, things that are going to humble them and embracing failure and really, really trying to, you know, cultivate that refined, you know, humanity, the thug is stoking their ego, yeah. right? They're seeking to dominate. They're seeking to win. And, you know, they're, they've got enough skill and talent that they do win, but often at the expense of others. Right? Yeah. And so you can imagine, you know, in the field of warfare, you know, a, a thug would prosecute, you know, a battlefield in a very different way than a warrior, than an authentic warrior, yeah. a master.
You know yeah. what I mean? The decisions they make are going to be different. They're going to, they're over there to, let's say, uh, go after ISIS and play whack-a-mole. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just kill as many of the booger eaters as they can. Whereas a true master warrior is going to be a much more thoughtful about how they go about it and, and look at it from multiple angles and be able to take the perspective of the enemy. And, mm-hmm. and there may be certain situations where the enemy goes unharmed because there's a higher order good that can come out of that. Does that yeah. make sense? Oh, that's so wonderful. You know, it reminds me, we're we're huge nerds. And when we do watch TV at the end of a long day, I've been doing a lot of like seven interview days in a row. Oh, so wow. We'll sit down and we'll watch TV. And we were just watching one it's of like our favorite. It's like a 20-hour ruck or something like yeah, that. Yeah, totally. Well, not, not quite like that, I'm sure. But, uh, so we were watching Star Trek the other night, the, the Next Generation, which was always one of my favorite shows growing up. Right. And there was one, like what you said reminded me of data is the android in that show right. and they found like basically data's twin who hadn't uh gotten any better he'd been shut down for a while didn't really have that that character and right. so it was this whole ph- philosophical debate about the difference between the two and basically it was that uh, they could never be the same or equal because one of them never tried to get better and the thing that distinguished the the uh, basically the data on the enterprise was that right. there was that constant thirst for getting better, for understanding right. humanity, for trying to yeah. bring yourself to, even though you know you're smarter than everyone, you have more knowledge than everyone, you're trying actively to become more humble with right. all of that, and that's, uh, that's it. Also, that's cool, that's great. It, yeah, it's so great, and it, and it really makes it <laughs> uh, easy to watch in a way that, like, I think it's tough to learn that lesson uh, in right. in life. So you need to be constantly reminded by that. There's it's another. I mean, that's data kind of was the Spock, right? Of the essentially, model, yeah, right. So when Spock, you know, Leonard Nimoy just passed away, God bless him. I mm-hmm. loved him. His character was amazing. Oh, such a beautiful character, yeah. But that, what, that was in a similar fashion. Spock, you know, the humanity rubbed off on him, right? You know, he tried like hell at first to, to just <laughs> ignore it, but over time, you know, he couldn't, couldn't, you know, you couldn't not see it, and yeah, he, you know, came out in his character. That's pretty cool. Absolutely. You know, my, my thinking, Abel, is that, you know, people, um, that is also a choice, a choice mm-hmm. to grow. Uh, some people never come to it until, or never, period. And then others need it like a major kick in the balls. You know, they right. need a, a crisis situation, you know, sure. like cancer or something like that. And, th- and that's tragic. But then out of the ashes, like a phoenix, they rise up and right. they end up, you know, completely on this growth path. And they're like born again almost. Um, in fact, there's a leadership theory called twice born that a guy named Zaleznik talked about. And you see that in, um, in a lot of leaders where they're, they're transactional leaders, they're about power and control, you know, and all of a sudden something really radically life altering happens to them and then they completely change and they come out and they're, they're really about service and, yeah. and, you know, and, um, it's not about them anymore. Right. It's interesting. One of our, you know, one of our training events at SealFit is a 50 hour nonstop training event I modeled after Hell Week which is actually six days of nonstop training yeah. um, around the clock. And what we try to do is to get people to experience this, uh, at least in a temporary state, a complete um, altered reality, yeah. right? Not, in, not like you would experience, you know, if you were on an LSD trip or something like that. Not sure. that I've ever experienced that. <laughs> <laughs> or ayahuasca or something. Right. Which I haven't, but... Um, oh, we're going to Peru next week. We'll tell you all about it. Are you coming down there? <laughs> yeah, we actually are. No, I was talking to Mike. Mike Bledsoe, he tried to get me to go on that trip, but I'm going to be in, you're going to go on, yeah, I know exactly where you're going. Oh, cool. I'm excited <laughs> for you. Yeah, I was invited to that trip, and um, I'm going to go next year. 
I'm bummed I'll miss you. Anyways, um, you can edit this out. <laughs> we're going on a total random trip down the ayahuasca highway here. Hey. We were going to get there eventually anyway. <laughs> exactly. As soon as Lindsay Lawn starts doing it, it's, it's all over. Oh, yeah, then it's all over. <laughs> so anyways, so in Kokoro Camp, you know, it's, it's the hardest training in the world, probably outside the SEALs, but it's completely doable for anyone who has, you know, who has put the time in to prepare their body and their mind. However, they can't do it alone. Right. You know, and when I went to SEAL training, the 19 of us who were there standing at the end, you know, there were some guys who got injured and but most people quit. And um, a lot of reason they quit is they, they either didn't have the emotional resiliency, the mental toughness, but also because they just didn't know how to ask for help hmm. and they didn't offer any help. OK. They just tried to do it alone. They try to gut through it like a Rambo. Right. It doesn't work, you know, and life is that way, especially now. Right. Life is is hard. And you can't do it alone. And yeah. you look at the business world, you know, no good business is ever accomplished alone. You know what yeah. I mean? Anything worthwhile requires extraordinary efforts of a large number of team, teammates. And so in, in Kokoro Camp, we try to get people to experience this sense of being a world-centric warrior where everybody is interconnected and you mm -hmm. really can't do this alone. And so that when you get out of the experience, you know, that, that stays with you. So you can go back and be a better, you know, family member, father, mother, teammate. Yeah. Really get outside of yourself, and yeah. you know the the traditions. Whether you're talking about uh, psychotherapy or even the spiritual traditions, really note three primary stages of development. You know, egocentric, ethnocentric, and world centric. Mm -hmm. And um, to grow, you know, the human being is supposed to naturally develop through those. But you tend to level out at the center of gravity of your of your family, tribe, or mm -hmm. country. You know what I mean? And so we have a very ethnocentric society. Yeah. And so, and we also have a very large egocentric component of that. And so a right. lot of people kind Which of- Which is encouraged. Are, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's very individualistic, you know? Yeah. Um, and so a lot of people are kind of stuck there without even an awareness that there's mm -hmm. a there to be stuck at. Right. You know? And so we, you know, my training is to try to really accelerate or elevate people out of that and then to provide the tools for them to continue to train in a manner that will- accelerate their growth as a human yeah and so you know the way we do that and there's i'm sure there's many ways because they say there's many paths but the way we do that is what i call integrated warrior development where we where we actively work on developing our physical mental emotional intuitional and spiritual intelligences every day yeah through our training and so, we elevate sorry go ahead what would you say to someone who uh, i think a lot of people have the wrong idea about the military or people who are trained in, uh, in, in fighting or martial styles. I'm reading a really interesting book right now, uh, Chronicles of Dao, I think it's called. Basically, it's the making of a master, but mm -hmm. who's, who's trained in, in martial arts and Shaolin, then goes into military type training mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And basically, you see his journey from being a thug to turning into a master. Mm -hmm. it's, it seems to me that a lot of your stuff is, is really driven by the mental, the spiritual. Sure. How, do, how do you integrate those two things when you're basically being trained to fight? Yeah, well, again, um, fighting is just the, that's what the Buddhists would call your dharma. It's the mm -hmm. duty, right? Again, you, don't, you could be a fighter in a corporate realm. You could be a fighter anywhere. Sure. I've met uh, quite a few of those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you don't have to be a um, picking up a weapon. In fact, uh, at, at the master level, the warrior is the last to pick up the weapon, mm. to pick up the lance. Mm -hmm. um, the way we do it is have to have an equal emphasis on working in as we do working out. 
right? Yeah. So the, the physical is necessary. The physical is necessary to be functionally fit, to have the mobility, to be able to have, the, you know, developing your body so you have strength, stamina, the capacity to work really hard for, you know, intense periods of time, to be able to take care of crises, take care of your teammate, endurance so you can stay in the game, stamina, right? Um, and durability so you don't get sidelined, you don't break. Yeah. And to be able to develop the physical structure to be able to stay in this game of life regardless of, of what your career is, but, you know, especially if you're an industrial athlete or warrior athlete to use your body for your job. Mm-hmm. So that's critical. Now, and also develop the skills of your profession, you know, whether, whether those be, you know, we, t- we train uh, electrical linemen that have to climb utility lines in the, you know, storms and fix high voltage electrical lines. <laughs> right. I'm pretty intense, you know? Yeah. So we train them. Our training is to give them the functional fitness as well as the mental toughness and resiliency to be able to stay the course, you know, through those trying times. But, mm-hmm. you know, they've still got to develop the skills on their own and through their training to be able to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then, you know, the physical training is a great method to begin to do mental training because when you train, you know, at the level that we do, when you, where the training is hard, where the training requires, you know, um, complex motor skills – where the training requires long hours and planning and working together as a team, now all of a sudden you're getting into mental development. You're developing your concentration, your focus, mm-hmm. your staying power, your mental stamina, all that kind of stuff. So um, that's really just the beginning, though. So we don't leave it to that. We say, okay, now let's also develop our minds. Now we can develop our minds through working out, and we develop our minds through working in. So we develop our, we develop our minds through um, concentration training, yeah. uh, breath control. Uh, meditation, uh, moving somatic movement, right? Yeah. More refined movement like yoga or, um, you know, Tai Chi or Qigong um, through um, memory drills, through visualization mm-hmm. drills, stuff like that. And so it's all developing not just the critical mind, which is just a small aspect of your mind. Your, your mind, there's five primary ways that we think. You know, we think by what we think of as thinking, which is uh, using our critical mind, our neocortex to solve problems and to analyze and rationalize and all that. But we also have um, accessing memory. That's an actual thinking capacity. So you can improve the ability of your mind to access memory, mm-hmm. your visual mind. Okay. So consider your image, your ability to create images, to form images, to review images as a language. You know, what we have um, symbolic language like words and um, mathematics, but we also have a visual language. And that visual language is powerful because, you know, our um, subconscious mind, our heart mind, and our belly mind, they don't communicate in, in symbolic language. They communicate in sensory mm-hmm. feelings and imagery, right? And so that's the third way our minds work. The fourth is dreaming, right? Interesting, which combines kind of memory with imagery. Right. But it's a, it's a unique thing in, a, in and of itself. It's often thought of as a way for our subconscious to kind of process things. Sure. And then the fifth is the one that's super powerful. This is the one I try to train because it cracks people wide open. And that's this notion of direct perception, which can only be found in the present moment. Now, your critical thinking mind and your memory mind are all can only be utilized in a future mental state or a past mental state. And so part of my mental training at SealFit is to teach people how to use their minds their, their thinking mind, their critical mind, effectively in a future state to plan, to envision victory, mm. to rehearse victory, mm-hmm. right? And to make sure that you can focus on the right tactical things, the right targets en route to victory. Yeah. And then we use our mind in the past to relive events 
and extract the positive, you know, like the silver lining playbook, extract sure. the, yeah. the silver lining, extract the lessons to celebrate the positive things, to decide what to kill off and leave in your past and to choose what to bring forward so that you can um, use those lessons, you know, either in a future planning state or in the present. But what's neat about this, Abel, is when you develop your mind so that it's a choice to go into the future, a future state to do the planning and the visioning and stuff like that, and it's a choice to go in the past and do that, and we have that, we have morning and evening rituals for both of those, that frees you up to be radically present yeah. during the day when you're, when you're getting the job done. Yeah. And in that present mind state, that's when we allow our direct perception faculties to be able to receive more information, to take it in hmm. and to absorb, right? Yeah. And that's when you get these senses of just knowing things. Like you have, I call it knowingness, yeah. right? You didn't really think it, but you just know it. Right. And that's a, it's a unique in, you know, intelligence that we have as humans that can be trained. Yeah. And, um, and it's, it's related to intuition, but I think intuition also combines, you know, sensory awareness and, and other things. And so sure. ultimately, you know, working in developing ourselves mentally and then emotionally, that's another one, especially for us, us guys, you know, emotional intelligence is incredibly important. I think it's equally as important as, as cognitive intelligence. Sure. I chose the word Kokoro for, for the Kokoro camp, that 50 hour camp, because it means uh, to merge your heart and your mind into your actions. There's oh, just cool. no American word that comes close. Right. And so what, I'm, what they're saying is be intelligent both emotionally and cognitively and be able to use both for wise decisions, not just clever decisions that are going to have second and third order negative effects, you know, yeah. which is we have going on all over the place in our society, in our world. You know what I mean? Right. It's just a complete disaster. Yeah. You know, because. Oh, it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so, I mean, this is a good reason, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll be quiet after this, this is a good, good place for me to say that my overall mission, yeah. like if I get up every morning and I read my, I have a morning ritual, and part of that is to check in with my purpose. My purpose in life mm. is to master myself so I can serve others to achieve their maximum human potential. Yeah. And one of the reasons I'm doing this is I believe that we all need to upgrade our human operating systems so that we can, every single person can take part in um, solving some of these intractable problems that we've created. Yeah. And it's not going to happen until we can uh, take a Kokoro heart-mind approach and everyone gets in the game. We can't wait for the next president or some world leader to magically wave a wand. It just doesn't work that way. The systems, yeah. the systems that we have developed right now are, are the ones that created the problem. They can't solve it. Yeah. They're, not, they're incapable of even seeing it, right? right? Thugs. <laughs> so the problems are going to be solved by social entrepreneurs, by guys like you and me, and by, you know, millions of people who literally get on board and say, okay, it's, time, it's our time. You know, yeah. we've got to step up and, and take responsibility for the environment and for our global health and for, you know, creating an inter interconnected society of people who are mutually supportive and instead of trying to chop each other's head off. Right. That heart mind action connection is, is so cool. I was recently listening to an interview with Arnold Schwarzenegger and, uh, I think it was Tim Ferriss asked him, uh, if he meditated or what his history of meditation was. And he said that he used to, he used to do it a lot when he was bodybuilding. And now basically when he's, uh, when he's exercising, when he's lifting weights, he is in his biceps. He is using mm -hmm. those meditative capabilities that, that he learned That's for, for basically 
anything that he does. And I, I really related to that, you know, as a musician, because after a while you reach a certain level and you realize you're not the one who's playing, <laughs> right? right? You're kind of, you're the one who's, who's channeling. You're in a deep meditative state. I'm sure if we hooked, if Dave Asprey hooked my brain up to a bunch of gadgets, it would show right. that I'm in a, a very unique type of brain state when that Absolutely. sort of thing happens. And it seems like you're one of the rare people who really does that. And one thing that you mentioned before the call is the warrior approach to yoga. And usually you don't put those two things together, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you do yeah. that. And, and also how you value that. Because I think a lot of people, especially <laughs> on the martial side of things, that might make you somewhat unique as well. Yeah, Although I, I might think, be wrong. I think that um, yoga is a, ultimately is a martial tradition. Hmm. Uh, it's the oldest personal development system known to mankind. It's yeah. at least 5,000, probably way older than that, 5,000 years. Um, yoga is not what we think of it in the West. It's not, right. you know, a group of 50 girls and four guys, you know, <laughs> right. sweating through a hot sweating yoga Sweating on, on chemical yoga mats. Right, exactly. Um, although that's certainly part of it but it's a small yeah, part of it. True. Um, you know, even, even the martial arts have a connection to yoga. I mean, there was a fellow named Bodhidharma who was a great yogi sage who uh, found his way to the Shaolin Monastery. And the monks there had a, a, a rudimentary form of fighting called Shaolin boxing, but they, they didn't really have the functional fitness or the mental control. They didn't know how to meditate. And, mm -hmm. and so Bodhidharma taught them Zen. So Zen came out of his work. And he taught them uh, a form of functional fitness that was asana. Mm -hmm. And when combined with uh, the fighting and developed over many more years, it became, you know, Shaolin Kung Fu. Yeah. Pretty interesting, huh? And so, um, <laughs> yeah, and, and also the Indians, you know, the, the, you know, yoga came out of ancient India, but there is a, there is a uh, martial art there that's considered to be the oldest martial art in the world. Um, I wish I could remember that. It's like Kapitali or something like that, or Kapitali. And um, if you go to northern India and people who are practicing it, it, you know, there's there's aspects of yoga, asana in it, and there's aspects of like regular kung fu fighting, and it's all kind of one thing. And so I go back to my, where I went to, um, did the martial arts. We didn't do yoga, but now they offer yoga classes combined with their, huh. their martial arts. So it's oh, kind cool. of coming full circle. Yeah. Now, um, I've been teaching what I call warrior yoga which is kind of my version of yoga too. I started with SEAL candidates back in 2007 and now I teach it to everyone. And I, and I actually am working on a book called Warrior Yoga and we just, just put a little DVD together. Cool. And it's, it's super powerful because what it is, a total warrior development practice. You know, whereas I would say unbeatable mind is like the physical training, um, or not unbeatable, but SEAL fits my physical training, mm -hmm. unbeatable mind's like my philosophy and executive coaching. Warrior yoga is the practice, Yeah. right? And um, I, I began this practice actually as a warrior when I was um, recalled to active duty. I was a reserve SEAL, which is a great job, by the way, if you can imagine. Being a, a Navy SEAL reservist is like, you know, being part of a staffing company for the coolest job in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. I could snap my fingers or get up, you know, pick up the phone and, and be around the world and jumping into, um, you know, some sort of firefight somewhere. It was really cool. Yeah. Right? Wow. But at the same time I got to build a business and be with my family. So mm -hmm. about half my SEAL career was, you know, active duty on a team. The other half was as a reserve officer. Yeah. So anyways, I went to Iraq, Baghdad in 2004 and, uh, it was on a, a special project with SEAL team one. And, um, and 
the, um, when I got there, I had already been practicing yoga now for about five years. Right. And so, um, so I, I didn't think about it, but I did bring my yoga mat. And when I got into the, the seal compound, it was near a, a lake, uh, where Saddam Hussein had a palace and we'd kind of taken it over. And I went to try to figure out how to work out and realized that pretty quickly the gym was like a combat patrol, you know, an hour away. And so there was no gym. And so I was relegated to just kind of jogging and regular PT, which I was fine with. But I said, you know, maybe there's something better. And so I found this spot uh, near the the lake and near one of the little, you know, palace like um, hooches. And I began to do what I call an integrated practice. I didn't really know what I I didn't really understand it all at the time, but sure. um, and I look back and I think it was pretty cool that it just came out of me. So I would, I would just, you know, the spot that I was training with, it was the size of my yoga mat because that's what I used to, to kind of hold the space. And I would start with uh, breathing, right? And breath control training is profound and it's super powerful. And so I just, I created this thing called box breathing, with, which was a, a simple ratio of inhaling to a five count, holding my breath to a five count, exhaling to a five count, holding my breath. It totally got my mind and my body really, really clear, um, energized, kind of balanced. And um, my mind was empty and I was, uh, the stress was being managed properly because I was, I was um, kind of triggering my parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah. Um, again, just through trial and error, I didn't have the words to describe it the way I just did. So I did that for about 15 minutes and then I would go into a series of standing poses to warm up. So about 20 minutes of standing poses and then I would pause because this, this, uh, served or I should say this session doubled as my physical training. Mm -hmm. And what I learned from yoga before that was that yoga is a poor substitute for fitness. It really isn't. It's not meant to be fitness. I mean, it will get you into better shape if you're doing nothing else. But for guys like us or warriors and athletes, it's a compliment to fitness. It's not right. really the intention, right? Mm-hmm. So anyways, um, but having said that, it is amazing for spinal health, which is mm-hmm. one of the primary benefits, as well as detoxification and mobility and flexibility. Yeah. Obviously, those are important. So anyways, then I would take a pause and I would do about 20 minutes of functional fitness. I was just learning CrossFit and I didn't have any tools, but I could do squats and burpees and, and you know, star jumpers and stuff like that. But so I'd work up a good, I'd get my heart rate up into that intensity zone and I'd stay there for, for about 20 minutes, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter. And yeah. then when I was done, I would, the third or the fourth segment of this, I would go down and, and do a bunch of seated poses, a lot more um, you know, core stretching twists and, and some ab work and stuff like that. And then I would end in Shavasana, which is corpse pose. And I would do a visualization. Hmm. Now that the visualization was not part of my yoga training. The functional fitness wasn't part of my yoga yeah. training. The asana or the, the poses were, and the breath control was. So I was mm-hmm. combining different elements. And the visualization was something I called a future me. I would visualize myself at home, uh, healthy, um, with my wife and my son, you know, after the deployment, right? And so I put myself in this future state where I was going to be there, Yeah. right? I tell you what, Abel, so the whole sessions would last about an hour, sometimes maybe an hour and 15 or an hour and 30. Mm-hmm. And um, I would skip breakfast to do these because it became so profoundly important yeah. to my day. Yeah. And the longer I spent in the combat zone, the more the better I felt, you know, I was getting in great shape. I felt amazing from this practice. My mind was clear and just felt super confident. And, uh, wow, I tell you what, that stuck with me. And so a couple of years later, 2007, when I started the um, SEALFIT program, 
initially I was like, okay, we're going to, you know, we're just going to do this hardcore physical training and I'm going to teach him some mental toughness, right? And I thought, well, how am I going to, what's the mental toughness? What am I going to teach him? And then I yeah. thought, okay, you know, what worked for me was breath control, visualization, um, maintaining a radically positive mindset, right? Transferring that positivity to a feeling state. So that not only was I thinking positive, but I was feeling positively and um, learning how to, you know, establish and focus on the right goals. And that was happening through, I found through the breath and the, and the uh, visualization training, then mm-hmm. uh, everything started to get clearer and, you know, ideas and insights were coming to me. Yeah. And so I said, well, I'm going to teach all that. And so, and I thought, well, what's the best way to teach that? And I thought, well, I need to practice it. So not only do I need to develop curriculum around teaching this stuff or, or, you know, so I could teach it and so they could understand it, but I actually had to develop skills and drills and practices. And so mm-hmm. all that I remembered with warrior yoga, I said, well, you know what, that was profoundly useful for me. Yeah. So I started teaching the practices through warrior yoga. And then I, you know, developed these academies, which I referenced earlier, like three days, five days, and three weeks. Hmm. And interestingly enough, the SEAL candidates who trained with me for three weeks, we, we have a 90% success rate getting them through SEAL training. Yeah, that's the nuts. last two classes, the last two Ironman were SEAL fit trainees. They're doing Compare ex- that to the average Joe who goes in for... It, yeah, it, 80 to 90% washout rate. Yeah, you know? that's amazing. So we've flipped it. And mm-hmm. whatever we're doing is working. You know what I mean? I'd love to get down there and, and to teach, you know, the SEAL instructors what we're doing. But um, that'll probably happen someday. You know, we're not pushing it because yeah. they're, they're busy and, you know, sure. they've got their way of doing things. But uh, it's neat. It's like back to the future to me because I can imagine, you know, all great warrior traditions have had some combination of working out and working in. If you look mm-hmm. at the samurai, they had Zen. The, right. the Apache scouts had sacred silence and their – um, they're very long vision quests, you know, mm-hmm. and they would send a teenager out into the wilderness alone, forbid contact with other human beings for a year. And if they made it back, you know, mm-hmm. they were accepted into the warrior tribe. You know what right. I mean? Um, all sorts of examples of this, the yogis have already discussed and, and even the ancient Greek Spartans, you know, they had practices that were inner and outer, yeah. you know, yet here in the West, we've just, we've just completely ignored all that. Yeah. It's unfortunate. And so I'm trying to bring it back together. And I teach warrior yoga with Western cultural context. Like right. there's, I take the foo out of the Kung Fu. There's no <laughs> Sanskrit words, you know, right. you don't have to wear, you know, as a guy, you don't have to wear spandex. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's not about <laughs> any of that. We don't yeah. chant, you know, we don't say namaste and, you know, yeah. at the end of each session, it's right. just a guy's yoga and it's phenomenally effective and really cool. Everyone loves it. Cool. That's awesome. So I'm excited about that. Thanks for letting me ramble on about. Oh, that. of course. Yeah. Well, we are we are getting close on time, but I have one more question for you uh, that I, I'm personally curious about. You're obviously very learned. You have a lot of passions. Where do you get your information? Like, what books do you read? Where do you find things that you can trust and learn from? Oh man, all over the place. I, I am a sucker for um, ancient yoga texts. Hmm. I, everything I get my hand on. You know, we think that the the most interesting stuff is the most recent. Right. <laughs> it is not. Yeah, they figured Trust it out me. way long ago. They have. You know, we're, <laughs> we're just completely reinventing the wheel over and over and over. I love what's coming out in modern research, too. I mean, mm-hmm. some of the stuff, like I, I just picked up a book called Go Wild, you know. I'm, oh, I I'm read hip- that book, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Cause like, this is like seal fit, you know, in a book. Yeah. Like, basically, eat paleo, get busy, get outside and play, meditate, you know. 
hang with your family, reduce your stress. I mean, it's like, yeah, right. okay, check. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I love, um, I love just meditating and allowing that knowingness to unfold. You know, mm-hmm. the, the yogis believe that if you, um, if you spend enough time cultivating your, your consciousness, um, and your mind that you would ultimately know all things. Yeah. Now, again, that's a, that's a fine art, right? I'm not sitting sure. here telling you that I know all things, right. but I don't, you know, <laughs> the more I think I know, the less I actually know, it seems like. Sure. But I can honestly tell you that much of what I write about and much of what I do just came to me hmm. through a meditation session or through yoga or, you know, one of our long ass weekends, you know, where we just spend a lot of time alone, yeah. you know, rucking up a mountain or, or whatever, Right. And then also through teaching, I have great insights, you know, watching other people experience breakthroughs. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've trained a few thousand people now and, you know, there have been some extraordinary breakthroughs and extraordinary experiences that people have had. And I really learn a lot from them and I try to stay open, you know, and I'm really not, I, I really think that learning comes from being, you know, continually opening the vessel and emptying it of, mm-hmm concepts you know and, and sometimes i wake up really scared you know it will not i'm not scared in the sense of being scared for my life i'm a very confident person but i wonder if i've taught everything that i know huh. right and <laughs> that's then I cool realize that's that's silly because all i got to do is empty the cup a little bit and sure. let something else flow into it you know what i mean right. <laughs> that's usually a time when i well, I, I have some sort of like my own little dip and then all of a sudden I just have another breakthrough and I'm like, oh, yeah. out, out of that comes a book or something like that. <laughs> right, right on. That's so cool. That reminds me, I woke up this morning, I had a, a dream, a nightmare, I guess, about accidentally drink, drinking Diet Coke. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> That's horrible. Oh, you it's funny survive. what comes to you sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, we're just about out of time. Thank you so much for coming on, Mark. Where can people find you? Uh, they can find me, you know, if you're bold enough to come out and train with me, come to NCD, sunny California to Seal Fit Training Center. And you can learn about that at sealfit.com, S-E-A-L-F-I-T, all one word, sealfit.com. We've got tons of cool videos there and, and a tons of free information, uh, weekly blog, you know, all sorts of cool things. My podcast is on iTunes called uh, Unbeatable Minds, uh, Mark Devine's Unbeatable Mind podcast on the Seal Fit channel. Also, if you're interested in um, the books, if you're a leader, the way of the seal is awesome. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of what we Love talked about able people, you know, would be valuable to you, the way mm-hmm. of the seal. And then my philosophy and all training um, is also uh, depicted in the book Unbeatable Mind, which I just finished the third edition of. So that's nice. available on Amazon and uh, it's, both are available in, in uh, audiobook. And if you're a warrior looking to um, step up your training, then Eight Weeks to Seal Fit is a good book to start because it really gets – the first few six chapters are all about mental training and breathing and, you know, different. It's a different kind of fitness book. Nice. Cool. And yeah. Warrior Yoga, that book won't be ready until 2016. But um, we do have some information on that in our Unbeal Mind online training program. Awesome. So, yeah, thanks well, very much. Of course, yeah. So anyone who's who's listening or watching, if you're looking for a bunch of secret weapons that will turn you superhuman, check out Mark <laughs> Devine's work. It's I've read his books. I've I haven't gone to Kokoro yet, although I, I certainly yeah. wouldn't cross it off the list of possibilities. It sounds pretty awesome in a lot no, of ways. I'm going to so. hold you to that. In fact, <laughs> we're just going to assume that you're going to go to Kokoro. As long as you're right there with me, Mark, I'll be fine. All right, no problem. <laughs> awesome. Well, right, Mark, yeah. thank you so much for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. All right, take care, buddy. Here we are.
Thank you so much for listening to the Fat Burning Man Show. If you'd like free fat burning tips, muscle building goodies, as well as a free ebook and video course, head on over to fatburningman.com and enter your best email and I'll shoot those right over to you. If you'd like to follow me on Facebook, I'm at facebook.com forward slash fatburningman. And on Twitter, my handle is fatburnman. Got some killer shows on the way, but in the meantime, be well, and I'll be talking to you guys soon. Cheers. Thank you.